perhaps you're familiar with these song lyrics. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. And I knew if I had my chance, I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. But February made me shiver with every paper I delivered. Bad news on the doorstep and I couldn't take one more step. I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride, but something touched me deep inside the day the music died. The death of music throughout history has had poetic association with times of sadness, times when the music stops, times when there's just no will to sing anymore, times of despair, times when God seems altogether distant. And Don McLean's American Pie, the lyrics were initially said to refer to the day that Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens all died in one plane wreck, bringing an end to a beloved era of rock and roll history. But McLean, 50 years after the writing, will go on to explain that he was referencing far more than just that event. He was referencing the end of a nation, according to his estimation. McLean speaks in the song of a country embroiled in the Vietnam War, an era of drug-induced cynicism, political corruption, and violence. McLean reckoning that God himself had departed. He writes in the last stanza, the three men I admire most, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They caught the last train for the coast the day the music died. God's distance has often silenced song. And the pages of scripture itself reference this reality. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The psalmist writes from Babylon, far away from his home, far away from the place of God's dwelling. But at several occasions, as we have walked through songs of the Bible this summer, we have seen on the contrary that when God shows up, when he shows himself to be victorious, when he shows himself to be mighty, song crescendos, that when people see the saving arm of the Lord, all they can do, it seems, is sing. It's no surprise, as we'll consider even in the coming weeks as we look at the New Testament, that as soon as Christ is announced as Savior, it seems, according to Luke's gospel, that everyone wants to sing. Angels, Mary, old men, singing of this joyful coming of the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Even as we reflect on the incarnation, we reflect on Christmas, it is often song that comes to our mind. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And this is the case that we find in Psalm 98 this morning. A song that sings into silence because God has shown himself as victorious. Commentators have said that this psalm is a psalm about the divine warrior. Praises of the people because the divine warrior Yahweh has shown himself to be savior, has shown himself to be king, 
and shows himself to be judge. That he is one who has showed up and won victory, but a victory that greatly benefits his people. And one who not only has won victory for the people, but shows his kingship over the entire world, over all creation. And one who will one day consummate time itself by judging that creation and making all things right. So is this psalm I want to consider for our time together this morning. And the first thing I want to consider together is an imperative to praise. Well, as we come to Psalm 98, we're greeted with a command, as is so often in the Psalter. It's a very common command throughout the biblical text. Perhaps even the most common command in the entirety of the Bible. So common that I think we forget that it's a command at all. I mean, when you think of imperatives in the Bible, when you think of things that God calls you to do, what, what comes to mind? I think certainly the, the, the Ten Commandments, the thou shalt and thou shalt nots of the Decalogue certainly come to mind. Perhaps Jesus' summary of the moral law is he calls us to love God and to love our neighbors. Perhaps like some of those that we heard in our epistle reading this morning or throughout Paul's letters, Commands like do not be drunk with wine or to be kind to one another or do not be a lover of money or be subject to governing authorities, all of our favorite. Certainly these important calls to obedience. But one such call that I don't think we often think of as a call to obedience is that call to sing. The call to give praise to God. When was the last time you alone felt deep sorrow and grief for your lack of robust singing. That generally doesn't make our list of confessions that we bring before the Lord. We have far more tawdry things to confess, don't we? And yet, according to frequency, the command to sing and praise and bring thanksgiving to God seems to be very serious business as we look through the Psalter and through the rest of scripture. It's one that we hear every Sunday morning as we hear the call to worship, a call to bring praise. This morning was no different. Praise the Lord, we heard. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. And as we come to our text this morning in Psalm 98, we are greeted with such a command to praise, to sing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. The psalmist writes, for he, the Lord, has done marvelous things. As with all of God's commands, we obey them as those who are in Christ out of gratitude for what he has done for us. The urge to to sing is, is a good indicator that we comprehend that God has indeed done marvelous things. It's a, it's a sign that we get it, that God has won our salvation for us. Now, we are not told the exact situation of this particular psalm, but I think that actually works to our advantage, doesn't it? We, as we hear this, so sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous deeds. We can think of many ways that God has been faithful to us. We can insert many reasons to sing. So many instances of God delivering us, showing himself to be good, showing himself to be loving. Well, as we consider the first stanza, these first 
three verses of Psalm 98, we find a call specifically to God's people, the nation of Israel to sing. It says they're to sing as they remember God's faithfulness to the house of Israel, for God has done great things for his people. But you'll notice as the second stanza unfolds, beginning in verse four, that the choir is enlarged, isn't it? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, not just the inhabitants of one strip of land in the Middle East, but all the inhabitants of the earth are called to sing God's praises. And it would seem, according to the, psalm, to the psalmist, that voices alone are, are insufficient for the magnitude of God's salvation. Joining in this joyous song are, are stringed instruments, trumpets, and other horns, making a joyful noise to the king. You'll notice here, not just king of Israel, but king of all creation. The psalm recognizes that God has dominion over all things, that his authority spreads to the end of the earth. And because of that, the ends of the earth are called to worship. As we continue in stanza three, we see that the choir once again increases from God's people to all the inhabitants of the earth to now the earth itself is called to sing praises. For those of us near the, the Pacific Ocean, we can appreciate the imagery of verse seven. There's little else that makes me understand my relative smallness in the universe than the crashing sound of waves and the vastness of the ocean. Well, the psalm, psalmist says that, that that crashing is a song to God. It's a song recognizing his, his kingship. The oceans roar, but, but the rivers also clap their hands. You can think of the image of, of rapids crashing over rocks and meeting up in the air as if arms clapping for God. The hills too begin to sing. The whole world and all who dwell in it are called to join the chorus of a God who saves, of a God who rules, of a God who judges. Perhaps not the best picture of this in the world, but there's this scene from a great movie called Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Perhaps you've, you've seen it where this evil villain, Judge Doom, played by Christopher Lloyd, is, is defeated. And with his defeat, uh, 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 an end to his heavy-handed rule over Toontown, which has rendered Toontown not only laughless, but songless, as he has uh, ruled over this city with a strong hand. But as word of his defeat goes forth, all the tunes begin to sing again. You might remember the end of the movie where not only are these cartoon uh, dogs and, and rabbits and animals singing, but the whole earth starts to sing. Cars and taxis, the roads that they are driving upon, the hills, the sun, the clouds, all joining in this chorus. Make life worthwhile, they sing. Smile, Darnia, smile. We're going to work that into the liturgy. I think those are good lyrics. This is what we see here in some way in Psalm 98. The whole earth singing to God 
because he has won. Because he has brought victory, not only for the people of the earth, but the whole earth itself he has come to redeem. Well, at first we see this imperative, this command to praise. Next, we see the reason for singing. Back to verse one, sing to the Lord a new song. This phrase shows up uh, throughout uh, the scriptures, this phrase, new song. Um, And this phrase is always associated with great victories of God, a victory that brings about new circumstances for God's people. They're called to sing a new song because things have changed. You don't sing the same song that you sing before the victory. Life has changed because of this great victory, and therefore there are new lyrics to sing, and that is the call here. The divine warrior has conquered. He is saved. The people are no longer in captivity. So write and sing something new, the psalmist says. Something that reflects on a new reality because of God's salvation. And that's what the psalmist goes to. He says that his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for his people. As we looked at last week, The hand, the arm of God is is an image of God's strength to save. Throughout scripture, when we see the arm of the Lord, we see it as one that is mighty to bring victory and salvation for his people. And so it is here. Now, as I mentioned, scholars have debated exactly the context of Psalm 98. What victory are we talking about here? It could certainly be the Exodus, That would be fitting for uh, the nation to sing because they have been uh, delivered from the tyranny of Egypt. Um, There's some similarities here to Psalm 96, which was at least partially sung uh, when the ark was returned to its rightful resting place. Could it be talking about that event? It could certainly be much later in history when when the nation returns from Babylonian captivity. Could, Could that be the event? We, we don't know exactly, but whatever victory the psalmist has in mind, it has similarities to all of God's victories where God shows himself as a divine warrior in different aspects. And we see this frequently in, in the scriptures. One, we see the divine warrior as savior. And in stanza one, that's what is emphasized here. A God who has worked to save his people. And notice, why, why is it that he saved them? Because he has remembered what? His steadfast love, his faithfulness to his people. And because of this, he is a conquering savior. But as the psalm develops, he is certainly savior. But because he is savior, he is also king. Stanza two emphasizes this aspect of the divine warrior. He has conquered as savior, but now he rules as king. And again, this kingship is not only over the house of Israel, but over all the earth. Even if they don't know it yet. Make a joyful noise, all the earth, the psalmist sings. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord, before Yahweh. Here the psalmist using this covenant name of God, a name that was given to the people of Israel so that they might call on him. But but here this covenant name indicates his kingship over all of creation. And finally, as the 
psalm moves into the third stanza, we find that Yahweh, the divine warrior, is seen as judge. First savior, then king, then judge. Now, the idea of God as judge usually doesn't conjure song for us. (laughs) That's generally a fairly terrifying reality. But for a world longing for righteousness, for creation that has been subject to futility, the idea of God coming, judging the world and setting all things right is good news. It's worth singing about. So great exuberant praise breaks forth and is demanded by God for he is savior, for he is king, and he is judge. But you'll notice as you read through this and as you read through so many Psalms in the Bible that there is a very already and not yet reality to these songs. Let me explain that a bit. Imagine for an instance, singing this song, reflecting on the divine warrior's defeat over the powers in Egypt. Certainly we can see God as a savior, this exodus where God has brought Egypt or brought Israel out of the land of Egypt. He has uh, washed away, so to speak, Egypt in the Red Sea. And you can see song breaking out there. Song did break out in that instance. And yet, as Israel has continued to be called to sing, as they walk through the desert for 40 years, this song probably gets a little bit harder. Perhaps they can remember God as Savior, but but what about God as King? In fact, we'll find that Israel not only has a hard time recognizing Yahweh as king, but they call for a king. We, we want a king like the rest of the nations because it is so hard to see God's reign in their current circumstances. Can the people of God, as they come back from exile in Babylon, declare that God's righteousness has been fully revealed to all the earth? I mean, the, the older generation, as they come back, has a hard time seeing God's righteousness even in their homeland anymore. They weep for the glory of God as no longer as it was. God's presence seems so far away. Perhaps they can appreciate that God has saved them in a way, but has God really judged and made right? Is he still king? God's final judgment must seem so far away from them as they continue to sing songs of sadness, reflecting on life is just not as it should be. Even if we're back in our homeland, there's still so much that is lacking. Perhaps they rejoice that God's judgment is being set off because as we find in the prophets, it is Israel herself who has often said that they are to be the object of God's judgment because they are the ones who are so often opposed to God. Whatever error God's people sing this psalm in, we along with Israel end up admitting by the last verse that despite God's victory, things are still not as they should be. We are not as we should be. 
After the great exodus, God's people still find themselves as sojourners in the wilderness. After the return from Babylon, God's people find a temple with far less glory than days gone by. And as God's people, us on this side of a glorious and victorious and triumphal resurrection, we continue to live in a world that is not as it should be. A world that often makes it so hard to remember that God is king. Perhaps even hard to believe that God is coming again at all. And yet, like Israel, we're called to sing. So I want to consider finally this morning, singing in the dark. How do we sing when things are not as they should be? I think in the last few years, we've seen a a lot of evidence that things are not as they should be. Not that it's new, Uh, things have not been as they should for a very long time, but there's been clear evidence over the last few years as we have seen our country and world divided by political ideals and often even more divided by overconfidence in those ideals. I think much more devastatingly, we've seen Christian brothers and sisters divided by the same things. We've seen a a culture of divorce and our nation continue to rage, but we've also seen it dismantle our own families. We've seen an opioid crisis rage in our streets, but for, for many of us, we've seen a rage in our own families and the devastating effects of it. For many of us, we have lived in sadness for hours, days, perhaps years, where God seems so distant. And as we look through the pages of scripture, this isn't a new reality, is it? There there haven't been good old days for a very, very, very long time. So how do we sing of God's kingship on days when it seems that God has taken the last train for the coast? How do we sing of God's judgment and be glad in it when the idea itself terrifies us. Well, I think for us, there are times in our life that we sing by sight. That is, we remember or we can see in front of us God's goodness, his salvation, his faithfulness, and we can sing in light of these things right before us. We can, like Israel on the banks of the Jordan, watching God deliver them, sing by sight. They see God's salvation. I think that can be us often as well, perhaps just circumstances in life, new jobs, new relationships, a positive doctor's report, news of a, a pregnancy, all things to rejoice in. And yet I think, I think oftentimes, perhaps more often than not, we sing like we live. That is, we sing by faith. We sing like the Israelites in exile. We sing as sojourners trusting that even though the situation at hand does not seem praiseworthy, God is praiseworthy, that he is king, that he is 
faithful and that he will be faithful to his promises. We sing by faith, even when everything seems to be an upheaval. We sing knowing that Jesus really is king of the world, that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. We sing when we find ourselves whipped once again by the same old sin, knowing by faith that God's judgment upon us has already fallen on his son. And so we can look forward to the day of his coming because that is good news when he will finally free us from all that plagues us. And that's worth singing about. We sing by faith, not because things are perfect in this life, but because they are not. Luther says this about singing. Music drives away the devil. It makes people joyful. They forget thereby all wrath, unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Luther says, next to theology, I give to song the highest place and the greatest honor. Something so true about that. I've yet to been to a sad uh, karaoke party. Singing does something to us. The Apostle Paul too recognizes this as he writes to a church who has dealt with so much of what we deal with in a broken world, a church that has experienced the realities of broken relationships, impurity, evil desires, anger, that have experienced persecution, And this is his encouragement to them. This is his call to obedience. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. What does that look like? Tells us, singing. Singing psalms, singing hymns, singing spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. We sing hymns, we sing psalms, we sing spiritual songs in the midst of brokenness because singing brings forth a reality that breaks through the brokenness of this world, of this world especially as we sing the very word of Christ. And notice here that as we, the congregation, join in singing God's word, we benefit not only ourselves, but we benefit one another. One of the reasons why your attendance here each Lord's Day is so important is one, it's really important for you, but it's really important for the person next to you too. They need to hear you singing. They need to hear the word of Christ in their ears coming from your melody, whether in tune or not. Perhaps you've experienced this yourself, singing a a hymn where the lyrics rings so true to you that you're unable to sing anymore and you hear the voices around you. Perhaps singing, coming across a lyric that because of your situation in life just seems too hard to believe. And yet the voices around us carry us. We hear these truths coming from the melodies of of young children, of men who can't carry a tune. God's word ringing in our ears, reminding us of what is true, that despite all that is around us, God is Savior, that he is King, that in Christ your sins have already been judged, and that he is coming again to make all things right. 
We sing in the dark because song reminds us of the light. We sing of the love and faithfulness of our Lord by faith because our our life by sight is almost too much to bear. But as we join the chorus, we remind ourselves and we remind one another that God has done marvelous things and continues to do marvelous things as his his word goes forth through the melody of the church. And so we shall sing by faith until he comes again. And on that day, we will sing by sight as our savior, king and judge wipes away every tear, makes everything right and welcomes us into our eternal dwelling. So until that day and on that day, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it, for he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness, and we have seen his salvation. Amen? Let's pray.